Hey everybody, welcome to Money's No Object. I'm your host, Dylan Howell. This is episode number 268 of our YouTube channel and podcast, and I cannot be more excited to continue sharing with you guys personal finance topics that I think could be useful for you in your long-term financial journey. Today, we are going to be talking about your investments. And I know we've talked about your investments in many, many ways, uh, and with many spins and many takes by me, right? But today, we are going to be talking about your investments when it comes to uh, the actual fundamentals behind companies and then how indexes have been rising because we know if we've been paying any type of attention to our investments over the past 10 years or so, we have made some outstanding returns in some of the major indexes. But the question is, are those returns warranted? And may have some of the warnings uh, that were left behind by one of the world's greatest investors and uh, greatest investing advocates, uh, may they actually tell us a little bit of something uh, about what's going on with our investments and what we may expect in the future. So stick around for all that and more in today's episode. Before we get started, though, if you could go down below, hit the big red subscribe button, like this video, leave me any feedback in the comments down below, and I'll be sure to respond to anything you leave down there. If you're listening on Apple or Spotify podcasts, be sure to subscribe and leave me a review on either one of those platforms. Follow me on social media at MNO with Dylan. And that's a lot of supplementary materials to all the things I'm putting out in these long form episodes on YouTube and the podcast every single day. And if you need somebody to help you to build a financial plan and keep you accountable to that plan over the long term, then I can do that. Just DM me on any of the major social media sites and tell me that you are interested in financial coaching sessions. And you and I can begin working together, pushing towards long term financial goals that you have for yourself, and then pushing you on towards long term financial freedom, which is what I hope for every single individual who's watching or listening to this show on a day-to-day basis. So in 2019, we lost one of uh, the greatest advocates for investing that we have ever seen. Uh, And he wrote several books and uh, he made the index fund his lifelong work. And that is Jack Bogle. And Jack Bogle was also the founder uh, and the uh, chairman of the Vanguard Group. And Vanguard's a company that I've uh, likely cited multiple times on this show that uh, is an investment brokerage firm. And, you know, they deal in brokerage accounts or IRAs or uh, even 401ks, 529s, all these different types of accounts you can open uh, on Vanguard. Uh, And I'm not necessarily pushing Vanguard to you. I'm just saying I use it. And that's where uh, Jack Bogle really got his name. And Jack Bogle told us a lot of interesting things about investing uh, and really pushed the efficacy of uh, the index fund and reasons why the index fund should be uh, a primary place that we invest our money over time, right? And as of recently, uh, we have seen indexes explode. Retirement investors have never had it so good. For a decade now, individual retirement accounts and company 401k plans have been booming thanks to the rise in the stock market. And this rise in the stock market is for many, many reasons, right? Uh, The stock market has gone up due to low rates, meaning companies can uh, borrow very cheaply and grow uh, at a faster rate without having to worry about uh, the cost of capital, the cost of uh, the money that they use to grow, right? So the cost is very low and they can grow uh, very quickly. It's also due to the fact that we came out of quite the gully 10, 12 years ago, right? Uh, When the global financial crisis was occurring, uh, the stock market dipped, and I say dipped, fell 55% on the S&P 500, right? So the stock market crashed. And then out of that crash, we've seen some fantastic returns, which tends to happen. You you tend to get some great returns out of a crash. We know that even from last year uh, when the coronavirus caused the stock market to crash a little over 30%. Okay, but we have seen a sustained rise in stock prices and we're still seeing it to this day, right? But before we start to get complacent, 
or think that uh, these returns are normal, there is a timely new warning that we need to pay attention to. And it comes from beyond the grave. It comes from Jack Bogle because Jack Bogle used to always talk about index fund investing uh, and where returns came from and what you can expect in the way of returns. And he left us something that I think is going to be very useful and we'll get to here in just a moment. But Bogle was the champion of the mom and pop investor. He wanted you to buy and hold index funds and hold them and hold them and hold them forever. And I've told you that many, many times, especially if you're an individual who doesn't want to go about trying to pick individual stocks, which most of you should not, as I've said many times, right? If you're not going to be that person, then you should buy and hold index funds. You should take the Bogle approach, okay? But Bogle died in 2019, so he's not providing us any new insight, but some old insight that he provided us is still very useful, okay? Bogle will remind us in the pursuit of the perfect portfolio, a forthcoming book on investing from Princeton University Press, over the past century, the speculative return on stocks goes up and goes down and goes up and goes down and always ends up back where it starts. Okay? If you go back and look at the history of American businesses, Bogle says, over the last century, you will find that the price-to-earnings effect of stocks is zero. Okay, So it doesn't simply mean that what goes up must come down, but that returns, Bogle points out, can only come from three things. Okay, And this is something that I want you to take with you today because you need to understand where returns come from in the stock market. And this doesn't just have to do with the S&P 500, but the S&P 500 is the example that you're going to hear about today. Okay, so your returns really only come from three places. Dividends, which are uh, these distributions that are paid out to investors in the form of cash, sometimes stock, but almost exclusively in cash dividends. Okay, so cash dividends are one uh, of the three ways that you get returns. Then earnings growth, right? If companies grow their earnings, then the company is naturally worth more, right? So if they grow their earnings, then obviously that company is worth more in the future because they have a larger bottom line uh, and they are able to keep more uh, of what they actually are creating, of what they actually are selling, their revenues. They're able to keep more of their revenues. And as a stockholder, you are a residual owner of a stock, meaning you get whatever's left. Well, whatever's left is their earnings. So earnings growth is where we can find our returns. And then there are quote unquote speculative returns, which is what Bogle calls them. And these speculative returns right, are basically all of the returns that have nothing to do with fundamentals, right? They have nothing to do with the earnings growth. They have nothing to do with the dividends. They only have to do with sentiment and they only have to do with what investor behavior is actually doing because anytime people are speculating, that's all behavior, right? I've told you before about what investing is and what speculating is, right? An investment operation is one by thorough analysis, right, that you can expect a satisfactory return and safety of principle. Okay. But speculation is anything that does not meet uh, that definition. We've talked about investment and speculation many, many times. So speculative returns don't have anything to do with analysis and they don't have anything to do with expecting some uh, you know, reasonable rate of return and they don't have anything to do uh, with the guarantee of safety of principle. Okay, so speculative returns are just behavior. They're just the buying pressure that the market sees. And speculative returns can also be negative. Okay, uh, we see in stock market crashes these speculative negative returns. Okay, but a lot of times since the stock market tends to go up over time and companies tend to increase in value over time, speculative returns tend to be quite positive. Right. So this book that's coming out, The Perfect Portfolios, written by Andrew Lowe uh, at MIT. 
And by Bogle's argument in this book, the current stock market boom in retirement accounts and 401ks and IRAs and all these places where you're seeing all of your money just increase in value and increase in value and increase in value will wash out in years to come. Now, this is no reason to be uh, alarmed, right? It's no reason to be alarmed that uh, you're going to make lower returns or you may make lower returns in years to come because this is not law. This is just uh, what Bogle says. And uh, it tends to make a lot of sense. And it's based in fact, right? The fact is, is that the only true places that returns really come from are what the company itself does fundamentally. So the earnings growth and how it repays its investors in the form of dividends. Okay. Anything else is just going to be investor behavior. Okay. And ultimately investor behavior comes and goes, it wanes and it waxes over time. Right. And so you're able to see that these returns that we may have seen in the recent past may not last long into the future. So it's worth taking a moment just to reflect on how good things have been for investors over this past decade. And we cannot uh, look past the fact that if bond yields have been very low over the last decade, uh, then the place to invest your money has been the stock market, right? It seems like the only place to win. And uh, we can't look past that. We can't look past that that is a fact of life, okay? So you can thank low rates uh, for the fact that a bunch of people have gone into the stock market and stayed in the stock market and kept buying and buying and buying and pushing up prices, uh, maybe even in a speculative manner. Now, among the top U.S. stock funds in retirement accounts, okay, so these are funds that are held within retirement accounts in the U.S., uh, the Vanguard 500 Index Fund, which I hold, and I've told you guys that I hold this fund. This is what uh, I put a lot of uh, my retirement funds into. Okay, it's VFIAX, right? The Fidelity 500 Index Fund, which this fund actually has no minimum investment, whereas uh, the Vanguard Fund does. So that may be something that uh, people are more interested in. The Spider SPDR. Uh, 500 ETF trust, which is SPY, uh, the iShares Core S&P 500 trust, which is IVV, all of which track the S&P 500. All of these companies track the S&P 500, right? Uh, they have produced returns that average 14% a year since 2010. Over the past five years, that has risen to a staggering 17% per year. And the stock market has only provided a little over 10% a year on a compounded basis over the past 100 years or last 50 years uh, or even the last 40. You can find over 10% a year returns, okay? So 14 and 17 are quite staggering numbers. Then if you look at some other funds uh, that aren't just tracking the S&P 500, but uh, the Vanguard Total U.S. Stock Market Index Fund, which is VTSAX, uh, which includes mid-size and smaller U.S. companies, as well as the biggest 500, it has risen about the same. Meanwhile, American Fund's Giant Growth Fund of America, AGTHX, has rocketed 15% a year for a decade on average. The Invesco QQQ, which tracks the NASDAQ 100, uh, which are smaller companies or tech companies, right? The NASDAQ 100 is a little larger and it is uh, very tech heavy. It has been invested in hot stocks like Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Tesla, Facebook, Google, and so on, and has risen an astonishing 20% a year on average since 2010. Now, those are market giants, and those are companies that have uh, risen to fame quite quickly, right? But you can just look at this year, and the S&P 500 is already up in a market way. So far, year to date, the S&P 500 is up 19.89%. Okay, so we're already looking at a return that's greater on average than the last five years and that's greater than the last 10 years or 12 years on average. Okay, so how normal are these returns? How normal is what we're seeing? Well, it's not. 
the gains of the S&P 500 over the past decade equal about 12% a year above the level of inflation. I've told you guys about the importance of beating inflation all of the time, right? I tell you that uh, if you're not beating inflation, then the purchasing power of your money is going down, okay? So what we are seeing in the market is we are seeing that inflation is getting beaten, right? It's getting beaten by the stock market. That's why it's so important to own assets that are going up in value, especially when inflation is increasing, right? But we have seen historically low inflation over the last 10 to 12 years, especially since the financial crisis. We've seen historically low inflation. We see a little more this year, but uh, this year doesn't weigh heavily uh, on the past decade. But 12% above inflation, so real returns of 12% are outrageous. Historically, U.S. stocks have only produced about half that. Data from NYU says the average annual return on the S&P 500 has been about 6.6% above inflation. Okay, so we are getting real returns or have gotten real returns over the last decade that are 5.4% more above inflation than the average on the S&P 500. Okay, stock prices over the past decade have risen about four times faster than the actual per share earnings that are supposed to underpin them. Okay, so we talk about earnings growth, right? We talk about uh, how quickly earnings grow. Well, over the last 10 years, from 2011 to 2021, S&P 500 earnings, which is their net income, if you take their net income on a per share basis, meaning you take the net income divided by the number of shares that each of these companies have outstanding in the market, right? You take that average and you uh, compare that to the price of the S&P over that time. Well, the S&P 500 price is up over 250%, whereas the earnings, the per share earnings is up over 50%. Right. So it's four to five times as much in the growth of the price than the growth of the earnings. And I said that your returns can only come from a couple places. Earnings growth, dividends and speculative return. Well, we see earnings growth. OK, so that's uh, let's say 20 to 25, 30 percent tops of our return on the S&P 500, right? But then what about dividends? Well, dividends are gonna play a part uh, and the S&P 500 dividend yield uh, at this particular point is less than 2%. So about 2% a year in that S&P 500 growth uh, can be attributed to dividends, right? But that's not a huge amount, and it's really not huge compared to uh, earnings per share growth, right? So relative to earnings per share growth, I would say it's probably a quarter, maybe even a fifth of earnings per share growth over that time, right? So we still have this big gap in returns. We still have this big gap as to what has happened. What has happened is we've seen a lot of speculative returns. We've seen a lot of returns that just simply come from the fact that a lot of new investors are coming into the market, you've seen a lot of people continue buying risk on assets because uh, the fixed income assets have yielded very, very low amounts over the past decade, right? You see a bunch of people just filing into the stock market. It is no surprise that people are actually doing this, okay? So this speculative return idea is actually taking up a lot of the returns that we've seen in the S&P 500. Now, does that mean the S&P 500 hasn't gone up uh, by a reasonable amount? amount over time or that it shouldn't have gone up. Well, I think it still should have gone up. There were definitely market driving reasons that it should have gone up, right? But there have also been some things that occur over the past, uh, you know, 10, 15 years that we just haven't seen occur in the past, right? We haven't seen record low interest rates for as long as we had them. We, we haven't seen a global financial crisis that we had to get out of in that way since uh, the 1920s. We haven't seen a pandemic come and ravage our country in the way that COVID-19 did. So uh, a lot of the reasons that uh, fiscal policy, monetary policy has been the way that it has 
has a lot to do with uh, the overarching economy and the overarching uh, macroeconomic forces uh, that may force that to occur. Now, uh, you can argue that rates shouldn't have stayed as low as they did as long as they did. And you can argue today that rates shouldn't remain lower, that uh, the Fed shouldn't keep pumping money into the economy, but it is happening. And as long as you have that accommodative Fed, uh, then the stock market is going to keep going up. You can't fight the Fed, right? Uh, and more people are going to look at the bond market with disdain because the bond market just doesn't look interesting. And they'll also look to alternative investments because uh, if returns start to run out on the S&P 500, you're not going to revert to fixed income. They're going to try to find something that they may have to take more risk to get return. They may reach for the return that they actually want. Now, what would Jack Bogle say? So as Lowe and Forrester remind us, Bogle made stock market predictions. He referred to his Bogle Sources of Return Model for Stocks, which he abbreviated BSRM slash S. Uh, in 2007, for example, he used it successfully to predict that the Dow Jones Industrial Average would hit 20,000 within a decade. Today, the dividend yield on the S&P 500 is about one and a half. That's compared to today's share prices with expected dividends for 2022 when companies are back on a sounder footing after the COVID crisis. Earnings growth, the International Monetary Fund, the IMF, expects the U.S. economy to grow by 3.5% a year on average from 2022 onwards. Add those two together and Bogle's model would predict 5% annual growth, which would still be okay, but for two things. Inflation over the next five years is forecast to be 2.7% a year, so the actual real post-inflation return is about 2.3%. And that's a far cry from the 12% that we've seen in the past decade. Oh, and there are these speculative returns. If Bogle is right, and we have to give those back, cutting annual gains even further, the S&P 500 is currently trading on 20 times forecasted per share earnings for next year, 2022. And it's even higher if you look at trailing 12 months. PEs have been extremely high. They've been at the uh, level that they were uh, during the financial crisis. The historical average is 16 times forecasted per share earnings for the current year. That difference is big enough potentially to wipe out all of dividends and earnings growth over the next five or 10 years. Okay. Yes, but goes the optimist cry. There are multiple reasons, including this time is different, but Amazon, we're number one, USA, 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 right? And even the Fed is a reason that you may give. But let's say, for example, that U.S. stocks are able to grow their earnings in line, not just with U.S. GDP, but global GDP. That would add about two full percentage points a year with net earnings growth, uh, and the net return would be inflation plus 4.3% a year. That's one-third of the past decade's return and still doesn't account for recent speculative gains being reversed. All of this also assumes that U.S. workers, retirees, or the government don't take a bigger share of annual GDP than they have in the past. By one measure, for example, after tax corporate profits account for about 10% of GDP, about twice what they did during the Reagan administration. Bottom line, 12% a year has been fantastic. Bottom line, 17% a year has been fantastic. But maybe we shouldn't get used to it. And this is not to say that you should go and sell all of your investments today because I'm not going to do it. Okay, I'm not going to go and sell all my investments today. I don't think it is warranted to do so, right? We still have to make returns. We still have to keep ourselves invested. And not being invested is going to be much worse for us uh, than being invested during times when money's not making money for you as much as it was previously. Now, this isn't the first time we've seen this, and I don't want you guys uh, to be scared, and I don't want you guys to think uh, that you, know, you don't know what the heck's going to happen next. But let's just look back just a moment. Let's just back it up, right? And let's back up 20 years ago, okay? 20 years ago, the tech bubble was popping, okay? 2001, 
2000 to 2002 was tough for the stock market, right? The stock market had a huge crash back then. And when the stock market had a huge crash, when the tech bubble crashed, right? The tech bubble popped, okay? This was a big deal. This was discouraging for many investors, okay? But here's what we can't forget. We can't forget that from December 28th of 1990, okay? So that's the end of 1990, all the way to December of 2000, December 29th of 2000, the stock market was up 301.64%. So if you just take an average there, a 10-year average, then that's a little over 30% per year. Okay, so the stock market was up a lot back then because of tech companies again, just like now, because of tech companies. I'm not saying it's all going to turn out the same. I'm just saying, look back at history, right? The market was up on average 30% a year. And then we did see a big crash. And then what did they call the 2000s? What do they call 2001 to 2010. They call the 2000s the lost decade. Why do they call it the lost decade? Because returns in the S&P 500 were basically nil during that time. Why? Because you had seen uh, the stock market be so high at the beginning of the 2000s, coming at the end of uh, the tech craze. And then you saw the Great Recession at the end of the 2000s, which sent the stock market lower and lower and lower. Okay. So returns were basically nothing. And if you look at the S&P 500 chart, you'll see that returns were basically nothing over that time. All right. But that should encourage us. That should encourage us that even though, right, even though that's the case, even though returns were basically nothing over that time. If you, again, go back to December 28th of 1990 and you take it all the way out to today. So you take it all the way out, you know, almost 31 years later. Okay. What have been returns over that time? Well, 1,249.7% on the S&P 500. Then let's just look at what that is uh, on a points basis on the S&P 500. That's the S&P 500 increasing by 4,108.03 points. Okay, because uh, in December of 1990, what was the S&P 500 sitting at? December 28, 1990, the S&P 500 was at 328.72. Today, it's at 4,436.75. That is a far cry from what it was back then, even with the lost decade. So what is this telling you? What do you need to know about investing based on this fact? Well, based on this fact, what we should know is that even though speculative returns are real, and Bogle is 100% right, speculative returns do occur, and they could be a very real reason why we don't see huge returns in our stock market over the next 10 years or whatever, right? Uh, But even though that may be the case, that we don't see outsized returns in the near future or in uh, the next 10 years or whatever, that doesn't mean we should stop investing. Because think about all the people who continued to buy throughout the 2000s, even when the Great Recession was happening, even when the tech bubble popped and they never stopped and they kept putting money away and putting money away and putting money away, right? They were buying at really low prices just for the longest bull market in U.S. history to occur uh, from 2010 all the way into 2020. And some uh, make the argument that that bull market's still going on because stock prices are still hitting all-time highs all of the time, right? Uh, so they still want to say that that bull market's still going, but some say that the coronavirus crash you know, ended that bull market and started a new one on the back end, okay? So nonetheless, stocks have been extremely beneficial even when speculative returns got out of hand. 
And it's not the only time. The tech bubble's not the only time. And now may not be the only time that speculative returns have gotten out of hand, right? Back in the 80s, speculative returns got out of hand, right? Back in uh, the 1920s, speculative returns got out of hand uh, and you saw the Great Depression and, and the stock market fell like 90% during the Great Depression. That's nowhere near what we can expect from today's stock market, right? But it is something that has occurred in the past due to the fact that you've seen uh, stock prices get out of hand and speculative returns be extremely high. Okay, but I can just make the argument for you today that regardless of speculative returns being high or not, you need to keep investing in the S&P 500. Keep investing, keep investing, keep investing. Now, something that may not be taken into account even by uh, Jack Bogle's brilliant mind uh, that you know when he's talking about speculative returns and dividends and earnings growth, something he may not take into account, especially with something like the S&P 500, is the concentration of the S&P 500. Okay, Because I've talked to you recently about how the S&P 500 is really concentrated in five large companies, Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Google, and Facebook. Right? And those five companies make up so much of the S&P 500 that I wonder if that earnings growth that they're taking into account is some average, like arithmetic average of earnings growth, or if it is a market cap weighted earnings growth or what it is uh, in order to come to that uh, determination of what earnings growth should be. Because those companies have killed earnings and they have become a larger and larger part of the S&P 500, right? The S&P 500, if not for those companies, I think if not for the top 10 or 12, is down for the year and is down more than 10% for the year. The NASDAQ, if not for some of those large companies is down for the year, right? So I wonder if these calculations, if these determinations take into account high concentration in the S&P 500 among large high growth companies that have had really, really good solid earnings uh, and look to continue doing so into the future. So I'm not disagreeing with Bogle. I'm just saying maybe things aren't going to be as bad uh, as we may make them out to be. Maybe uh, we are not just standing on the edge of a cliff. Maybe we are just due uh, for a cool off. Maybe we just can't expect the stock market to continue to go up and up and up and up over time time. And let's not forget that the rise of passive investing, which Bogle himself was somebody who was a huge proponent of, right? The rise of passive investing has been a reason that the S&P 500 and other stock market indexes have continued up and up and up. So some of those speculative returns, I would be interested to know if some of those speculative returns have something to do with the fact that people are buying and they're buying blindly. And that's okay that you're buying blindly. I've told you that if you're not somebody who's trying to pick individual stocks, that buying blindly into an index is fine. Okay. But I wonder if there's so much blind buying, so much of individuals just buying every single month and not caring what the price is and just buying and buying and buying may be impacting those speculative returns in a very, very real way. So even though uh, this is a good argument, it's a good argument that speculative returns may be too high and uh, something that Bogle told us in the past is uh, likely to come back into our world sometime soon, uh, I don't think it's as catastrophic as some may make it out to be. And I do think that as long as you keep feeding the S&P 500, putting money away for your future over the long term, you will be perfectly fine. So don't be scared of the next crash because a crash is going to happen. Crashes are going to happen. We've seen them in the past. We will see them in the future. And we've seen flat periods of returns. And we'll, we've seen them in the past. We'll see them in the future. But you have to keep investing because over the long term, staying the course, staying invested, buying more, buying more, buying more is the only way to win in the stock market long term.
So thanks for watching this video. If you could go down below, hit the big red subscribe button, like this video, leave me any feedback in the comments down below, and I'll be sure to respond to anything you leave down there. If you're listening on Apple or Spotify podcast, be sure to subscribe and leave me a review on either one of those platforms. Follow me on social media at MNO with Dylan, and that's really good supplemental materials to all the things I'm putting out in these long form episodes on YouTube and the podcast every single day. And then if you need somebody to help you to build a financial plan and keep you accountable to that plan over the long term, then I can do that. Just DM me on any of the major social media sites and tell me that you are interested in financial coaching sessions and you and I can begin working together pushing towards your long-term financial goals and then ultimately pushing you on to long-term financial freedom which is what I hope for every single individual who watches or listens to this show on a day-to-day basis. So tune in tomorrow as I continue talking about personal finance topics that I think could be useful for you in your long-term financial journey. So thanks for tuning into this episode of Money's No Object. I'm your host Dylan Howell. God bless.